1: Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Okay,
2: picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more
1: details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Today's episode is brought to you by Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision?
2: Welcome
3: to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
4: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb,
3: and my name is Julie Cricket Douglas.
4: That's your your nickname these days mm-hmm. because of your uh, proficiency in the sport of cricket?
3: No, 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 my chirping.
4: Oh, you're chirping. Yes.
3: It's summer. This is when I chirp.
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about before, we're social creatures, we want to fall in line with what everybody seems to be doing, and if you go out on a summer night, uh, even in a city as sprawling and as uh, uh, artificial in many places as Atlanta, what do you hear at night? You hear this, this constant cacophony, this just roar at times of insect life in the trees, in the grass, uh, hiding underneath your house, just chirping away, uh, cricking away, making all these crazy noises. And, you know, after a while you just give up, you fall in line and you just start chirping at the moon.
3: Chirping at the moon? <laughs> chirping at the moon, yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, that's what I love about summer is that it does bring on that cacophony of nature yeah. And if you're like me, just grab a, a fresh jug of moonshine and you go out onto your porch, you really get to enjoy the sounds of nature. What? You don't do that? It's the south. We're in, we're in Georgia. You don't have moonshine?
4: Is this store-bought moonshine or is this, are you making this in your tub? It is
3: hand-crafted moonshine. Okay. From my local artisan.
4: Well, that's, that's the way to do it then. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It really is making a comeback, by the way. Moonshine.
4: Oh yeah. It's, you have like, uh, yeah, artisan, um moonshine showing up, people drinking out of mason jars and all. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's quaint. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is, this is the time to really enjoy that cacophony. And I did want to point out before we start to talk about what some of this, um, these sounds of nature mean, uh, when we really eavesdrop in closely. I did want to point out that, um, crickets are really huge in some parts of the world, particularly in Japan. Mm-hmm. Bob Pemberton, he's an associate with the Florida Museum of Natural History. He says that there's a rich tradition of keeping singing insects beginning with emperors who kept them in cages in their courts. And he said, in fact, there is a Buddhist temple near Kyoto with a meditation room with terrariums filled with tree crickets. And the monk who was taking him through this um, meditation room said that the voice of cricket is the voice of the Buddha. Huh. Well,
4: that's an interesting way of looking at it. I mean, certainly... It, there's something very meditative about these organic sounds, about, uh, about birdsong or certainly insect sounds. Um, you can, you can buy CDs, uh, filled with these kind of nature sounds to help you relax. So it, it makes sense that before the age of, uh, new age meditation, uh, albums, you would just simple, simply put a handful of crickets in a cage and, uh, stick that in your yoga room, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. Well, apparently too, like keeping crickets is a thing. In in Japan, like, you keep them in little cages, or sometimes people will drop them into their pockets so they can enjoy the sound.
4: Well, you know, growing up, I remember, uh, and and I don't know to what extent this is, like, a larger thing, if this is, like, a southern thing or what, but I always heard, you know, if you have a cricket in your house, it's good luck. You're not supposed to kill a cricket. At, At most, you're supposed to let it go outside, which is generally what I try to do with insects of of any kind that, that wander into the house but uh, specifically the cricket was uh, was good luck and it was a bad omen if you squashed it. Did you have this? Going uh, I have up? never
3: heard of this. Never heard of it. Huh. No, ever.
4: So, not a Michigan thing.
3: It's not a Michigan thing. I mean, the only reference point I have to crickets uh, is my great uncle Louis McGully who <laughs> who used to keep
4: What was that last name? McGully. Okay.
3: Uh, from Chicago. Who would keep a cricket in his pocket. But I think he did that more as like just some sort of parlor trick.
4: Like a real cricket or is this like code for a handgun?
3: Uh, good question. <laughs>
4: <laughs> but but we'll go with a real cricket. He, assuming he had a real cricket, he kept a real cricket in his pocket at all times? He did. Huh. Would yeah. he feed it?
3: I don't know. Huh. I just heard stories of this. And I, I'm assuming that he replaced this cricket
4: well, know, yeah, quite yeah. often. You'd want, otherwise it would just be heartbreaking. To, to have carry that dead cricket around with you all the time. I should also point out, I'm, of course, talking about the, the cute little uh, black cricket and not the grotesque, um, uh, Giger-esque humpback cricket, camel cricket.
3: That's funny you said that. I was about to say xenomorph.
4: Yeah, because those yeah. those are the ones that, that generally live under the house and then creep up into the, uh, the surface world to mm-hmm. uh, gross you out. Or if you're a cat, um, enthrall you with your jumping ability.
3: True. Cats True. love them. They do, because yeah, and they're it, bad at them. Yeah, and I'm
4: sure they're full of protein as well.
3: It's true. Um, so shall we lean in close, and with the aid of entomologists, really eavesdrop on that cacophony of nature?
4: Yeah, because uh, to us, it's cacophony, to it, it or it, at most, it's sort of a uh, serene musical performance that we, that we just kind of uh, take in. But really, what we are hearing is massive communication in the insect uh, and, and arachnid world, um, mostly insect though, mm-hmm. that we're hearing. Uh, all of this communication is just going on at once. We can't understand it. We don't know what they're talking about. Um, I mean, unless you study it, and we're going to talk about some of those studies here uh, shortly. But, but, yeah, when you start breaking it down, uh, these are actual communications. Uh, species talking to like species, uh, species warning enemies to stay away from them, species trying to confuse enemies, uh, species trying to draw prey, into their grasps, uh, species uh, or particular uh, suitors trying to deal with rival suitors or attract a mate. There's all sorts of stuff going on. Just imagine like a million different emails or phone calls just zipping through the the sky invisible and that's what's going on in the insect song world.
3: And there's no better insect to start off with than cicadas which we have covered before. We talked about uh, cicadas and and that throng, that humming that you hear in the trees that used to, to me, signify like the hottest parts of the summer and decaying and death. But oh, now, yeah. now I look at this song as, as this really actually beautiful symphony that they are putting together.
4: Well, let's hear a quick clip from it, uh, from the, the song of the cicada, uh, copyright whenever cicadas decided to crawl to the ground originally. Uh, here we go. Now I agree with you. For, for me the sound of the cicada is, it's always just been a part of, of a hot summer. It's mm-hmm. just sweltering out and, and the trees, the forests around you are just throbbing in the same way that the heat is throbbing. And in the, the, the cyclical nature of the brood emergence, is also it's impossible not to, to correlate that with, with cycles of life and death. You know, uh, especially as the 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 broods you know vanish, the cicada song vanishes. Other things in your life may vanish or change as well. And then the cicadas come back, and uh, and there is something kind of magical about that.
3: Well, especially if you consider that that brood is either thirteen years in the making or Mm -hmm. seventeen years in the making. You know, seventeen years underground, and then they come out and they sing their Barry White love songs. (laughs) The, the males do to the ladies out there. And mm-hmm. they really do exist just to, to, uh, reproduce and die off.
4: Yeah. And of course, uh, as we discussed in our, our, we, we did an episode about cicadas a while back, which mm-hmm. uh, people can, can look up. Uh, but they serve an important purpose. You have all of these nutrients that are locked away in the ground when they're just, uh, when they're, when they're, when they haven't emerged yet. And when they emerge, they're bringing all those nutrients out into the world. So it's feast day as well for, uh, birds, uh, humans even, cats, of course, uh, anybody who wants to get in on the uh, the feast of the cicada.
3: Yeah, you know what's so fascinating about that is that uh, they're not quite sure how cicadas are cued to come out after 17 years. Mm-hmm. They think it's weather-related, but still, it's a bit of a mystery. But it turns out that there are some cicadas that don't get the cue, and they crawl out like a year later, oh. and there's like that lone cicada just, you know, with that lonely little party. chirping. Yeah. Oh. I know, right? There's something like sadly poetic about like, that. Like
4: the one hippie cicada showing up at Woodstock the year after. And yes. Like, oh, it.
3: <laughs> yes. Saying, Hello, any <laughs> ladies out there. <laughs> and literally, it's crickets.
4: So um mainly it is the males of course making the sound. Uh it's worth noting that females can make can also make sounds as well, though it's not the, the the signature sound that we've heard. And they all make a, a slightly different sound when they are warning you, hey, don't pick me up. Um, don't stick me in your pocket. That's a a different sound as well.
3: Yeah, um, David Rothenberg, he is an interspecies musician. Uh, He actually talks about this, about the very specific noises that they make, the Mm -hmm. song that they make. And he says that whenever you hear a summer convergence of cicadas, you're really hearing nine separate sounds made by three related species. And they're all there at the same time. And so uh, you've got something called the magic cicada cassini. And that makes that sh- swamp swelling sound that mm-hmm. you kind of hear. And to me, yeah. that's the most prominent sound um, that you just hear that swell. And it just sounds like something is about to burst. And then there's the Magicata uh, semindicular. And that's another species that makes more of a percussive sound. Mm-hmm. And then the third species is Magicata septensennial, And this sounds like pharaoh, like saying it's like pharaoh, pharaoh. <laughs> And uh, it's really cool because this is a three-part process, this mating call. Because that first sound, that, that swooshing sound, and this, this whole process is just sort of attracting the ladies and saying, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. And then the closer they get together, the the more the sounds change. And the cool thing is that in these pauses between these sounds, the female just flicks her wing as a way to say, here I am. Yeah. So that's kind of her call and response.
4: Of course, how how is the signature male sound made? Um the female sound that you mentioned that's just made by flicking their wings together, but the males use a membrane and we call this membrane the timble. And really the best way and it's it's like an, uh, on their abdomen mm-hmm. and uh in terms of describing what the material looks like and how it generates the sound, the best Real world, uh, well, not real world, but let's say artificial human world, um, uh, analog that we have is the bendy straw. You know, the bendy part of the yeah. Straw, bendy straw. Yeah. And uh, it makes that signature brrr brrrr noise. Yeah. That is essentially what's going on You're here. You're
3: right, because the abdomen is more like that accordion part that's yeah. air-filled, this air-filled sac, and then the timbles are on either side. Yeah. And then you have these, uh, series of three to five pings that excite a resonance in that abdomen. And that's radiated as sound through the insects' eardrums. This is so cool. That's located at the bottom of the abdomen. The insects' eardrums are at the bottom of the abdomen. Um, so that creates this huge sound pressure that acts as a sound converter. And then you have a sound that is 108 decibels loud at a one-meter range. So just to give you guys a little context up there, um, an alarm clock is mm-hmm. 80 decibels a rock concert is 110 decibels and a thunderclap is 120
4: decibels. It's interesting that, too, that the, uh, the cicadas actually tune down their own hearing, uh, via muscles to ensure that they're not deafened by their own noises. Right. right. So it's, it's, so if you ever think, boy, these guys are loud, they know it, too. That's why they're having to tune down, uh, to, to sing these songs. Um, so, uh, this year's World Science Festival, they had a, a presentation, uh, titled, uh, Cicada Serenades, Music Mating and Meaning, and it was, really good stuff um, it was quite an adventure to get there because we had to go all the way from uh, manhattan to uh, to the bronx to the botanical garden there and we had like an hour to do it and it turns out i mean and new yorkers may laugh at me for even thinking that that was a reasonable amount of time to get all the way up to the bronx uh we barely made it uh, but uh, but they they they, uh, they presented a really uh, fascinating uh, presentation on cicada song and insect song Rothenberg who we mentioned uh, mm-hmm. was there um, um, another individual we 're going to mention in a minute was there as well. One thing that they they pointed out is that uh, we we don't really understand. Uh, why some male cicadas get lucky and others don't? Mm-hmm. Because they're all singing this 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 song, and uh, a number of you know count, countless other species out there in the world. We know that their mating display is like saying, "Hey, ladies, this is what I have to offer," mm-hmm. and the ladies go, "Hmm, which one has the best mating display?" You know, sort of like which which guy has the nicest car or the, the coolest house or the most beautiful singing voice. Uh, but but they don't seem to have any ju- judgment along those lines. Like all the cicada songs are, are basically the same, so it remains. a bit of a mystery
3: yeah and there's so many of them yes um and so you gotta wonder is is this just a matter of proximity you know (laughs) when there are that many of them where it's just like hey we have x amount of days here it's t minus like 10 days we need to go ahead and do this because we're we're gonna be like dust pretty
4: soon (laughs) well they've been in the ground for a long time so yeah maybe it's just proximity and there's so many of them maybe they just realize we've we got it figured out. There's no need to be choosy, guys. Let's just do it. So.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's uh, let's go back to Woodstock. It's one big Woodstock.
4: Yeah. Like, you know, convergence <laughs> summer of love. Right.
3: All right, so let's take a quick break and when we get back, we will cover crickets, of course, but also an insect that uses its penis to make noises. very loud noises.
4: all right so we've talked about cicadas do you have anything else to add about c- cicada love songs
3: no just that it's reframed my my idea of what cicadas mean now i think about tons of love making going on when i hear that swell yeah as opposed to death and decay in the um the summer storms coming on
4: yeah well, uh, it, it should be obvious. Uh, cicadas are not the only creatures that make uh, make songs. Again, there are countless uh, uh, varieties of insects out there in the night, uh, or in, in the day even, uh, cr- creating all of these sounds. And uh, we're going to mention some of the other ones that are worth noting.
3: That's right. Crickets. Okay, so a lot of people think that crickets just rub their legs to make their iconic noise, but they do not. Male crickets have a file on one wing and a scraper or a plectrum on the other wing, they rub the scraper with a file, and then that makes that chirping noise, which turns out to be 100 decibels, by the way.
4: Yeah, and, and uh, it's important, yeah, that you mentioned the the, the ridges too, because mm-hmm. it's not just a matter of like, oh, let's see, I've got a leg and I've got a wing, or, or another you know insect. I've got a I've got a couple of legs. I've actually got a couple of wings. I should just rub all this stuff together and see what happens. Uh, no, it's it's much more uh, deliberate than that. There's one ridge. Uh, moves against another ridge, and that is uh, that is what creates the noise.
3: Yeah, and uh, I did want to point out something called mole crickets here because they sort of up the game, mm-hmm. and they use a burrow to act as an acoustic device and then radiate sound much like you would with a megaphone.
4: So they they basically make their own amphitheater yes. for their performance. Yeah, yeah. And
3: when I say megaphone, that really that's way too simple of an explanation because really their their acoustic setup is far more nuanced and complex than that.
4: Yeah, and. The, occasionally, you do encounter uh, insects that accidentally benefit from acoustic uh, resonance. Um, if you, anyone has ever had a bug uh, get in your ear, I think there's a little... Mm-hmm. Also, there's proximity to the noise that's going on there as well. Uh, but there they have their own amphitheater. And uh, uh, once I had a click uh, bug uh, crawl into a picture frame. Mm-hmm. So it was in there in like just the right spot, and it was an, it, just exceedingly loud. It took me forever to figure out what it was. I thought there was like somebody in the wall tapping on something. <laughs> A click thing. bug, yeah, like a click uh, click beetle type thing. Ah, uh, okay. Pop, you know. Yeah. And if they have something to pop against, and then if that can resonate, then it becomes this, this whole different performance.
3: It's true, and it is a performance. Uh, for instance, grasshoppers like the cricket. They use this what's called striu- stridulation. That's the uh, the scraper, mm-hmm. and they use their scraper on these little pegs on their hind legs. Yeah. Which kind of reminded me again of Moonshine and making music and, you know, using a washboard well, uh, I, I to make some sort of sound.
4: Like I am instantly imagining like grasshoppers and crickets all sitting around playing like string instruments and, yeah. and and playing the jug maybe and drinking Moonshine to the point where I must have seen that somewhere. Maybe that exists It's in some probably cartoon. in a Pixar yeah. movie. Yeah. Or it should be. But to your point, though, a lot of people don't realize that uh, crickets and uh, grasshoppers are making their their sounds via completely different uh, methods.
3: Yeah. And and speaking of completely different methods, what if this guy showed up to the cricket and grasshopper party? Um, This is called the Micronecta Schultze. Oh, yes. Also known as the singing penis. It is a freshwater insect, and it measures just two millimeters across. It's common across Europe, so maybe some of our European listeners will will know about the singing penis.
4: And now this is not a singing penis in the in in line with uh, Steve Martin's sketch. If you remember this, uh, I think it was a Saturday Night Live uh, bit that he did. I don't. Yeah, he would uh, he would unzip his pants, and there was a microphone, and he was like singing, <laughs> and then he would I actually he would smoke a cigarette uh, with it as well. That was part of the the act. Uh, was it
3: kind of like a ventriloquist act?
4: Yeah, it was kind of supposed to be like that. Like, like, he, it was very, um, uh, dignified. It was very much in the style of, uh, of say the fardist that we've talked about mm-hmm. before, you know. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty sure it was a Saturday Night Live skit. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Um, but, but that is not what's happening here. With the no. penis, we yeah. are seeing another, uh, example of this, uh, stridulation that we've been talking about. Yes. Again, it's one, it's one part of the body rubbing against the other. Uh, a, I mean, really, when you hear all that noise in the in, in the, uh, the insect song in the forest, you're just hearing a great rubbing of parts.
3: It's true. And yeah. in this part, it's the, it is the penis part. And it's a ridge on their penis, which then is rubbed against a ridge on the surface of their abdomen. Mm-hmm. And this is what's so trippy. The, uh, the surface area is roughly the width of a human hair. And it is producing a, a noise of like 99.2 decibels. Yeah. this is incredibly loud. I mean, this is like the equivalent of listening to a loud orchestra play if you're in the front row.
4: Yeah, or like just a, a freight train barreling by. Now, luckily, yeah. these guys live in water, so ninety-nine percent of the sound is uh, is is muffled mm-hmm. by their uh, by their natural habitat. But you can, but they're still pretty loud if you're walking by and they're they're in the water. And these guys are pretty common uh, throughout Europe, I believe.
3: Yeah, yeah, they are. And uh, so that, of course, leads us to a really wily insect. And this is the Tiger Moth.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by eBay. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles in a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left, look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this.
2: perfect home sweet home
4: Yeah, so these other insects we've been talking about they're largely talking to each other it's largely a matter of mating or occasionally mm-hmm. as with the cicadas uh saying get your hands off of me and put me back on that tree so i can do it um uh, but in this case uh the the tiger moth is doing uh, doing something a lot more subtle and a lot more uh fascinating
3: yeah i mean because it's talking to another species mm-hmm. uh specifically its predator a bat, yeah, and it is making uh, its little song. They think, or, or researchers think, uh, it could be one of three theories. One is that it's saying, "Hey, guess what? I'm poisonous. You probably don't know this at night because you can't see me, but other people, these daytime people, they know that this these markings on my wings they indicate that I'm poisonous. But since it's evening and you can't see this glorious pattern on my wings, I'm just going to tell you." So they think that that could be one reason mm-hmm. uh, for the the noise it makes. The second theory is that it could be jamming the bat's sonar. Hmm. And then the third theory is that it's kind of saying, boo, to the bat um, (laughs) in in a sort of acoustic warning system. Kind of like, I I know you're here. Yeah, Yeah. like, you know, the bat's kind of honing in, honing in, and then, or homing in, and it says... Oh, hey, I'm here. And then the bat kind of gets freaked out. And this is called a startle response. And this is something that Ron Hoy talks about um, in some of his papers. He was on the panel. Yeah, too. Ron
4: Hoy, he was on the panel. He was great because he brought a number of acoustic instruments with him. Yeah. Uh, because, he, I mean, you also had uh, David Rothenberg, who, who, again, he he is amazing. He's a philosopher, a musician, and author um, uh, in New Jersey, I believe. And he um he's all about, like... Taking natural sounds in the world, things the sounds of, of insects, the sounds of whales, and then doing his, his own stuff. So he actually had um, a container of cicadas. He was taking them out, mm-hmm. uh, sticking them on the microphone, and then he's playing like a, an alto sax. And then he had this fabulous percussionist there that was doing kind of. Um, oh, I, I, uh, my 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 musical knowledge isn't sufficient enough to describe it, but very um, like this guy's percussion uh, would not have been. Uh, out of place in a yoga studio, or, or at a, or at some sort of a tribal kind of performance. Okay. So it was it was a very uh, very cool little uh, little uh, gig he put together there. But then, uh, yeah, Hoy brought all these different woodwind instrument, not woodwind, um, wood percussion instruments mm-hmm. to to demonstrate the different uh, uh, forms of stridulation that go on with these different insects.
3: Uh, okay, yeah. so you could kind of get the idea of the frequency or the length.
4: Yeah. Yeah. So by the end of it you had uh, Rothenberg performing and then Hoy had passed out all of his his toys to the other panelists and they were all strumming or, or uh or shaking or or rubbing sticks together to uh Make the kind of jam with the insects. Again,
3: cool. the Woodstock just came out. Yeah. Yeah. With the insects comes out Woodstock. Um, what I like about David Rothenberg is that he is described as an interspecies musician. Yeah. And there's actually a great radio lab, um, with him, and it's talking more specifically about cicadas, but also about some of, um, his work with the clarinet and whales. Yeah. And this sort of call and response that happens between him and the whales when he's playing the clarinet. It's really interesting.
4: So there you have it. Uh, that's just an insight into some of the sounds going on out there. Certainly not all of them. Uh, and there are a number of other creatures that, that have some really interesting sounds going on. Uh, it's worth noting the mosquitoes, when they'll... Twining, you heard those are the lady mosquitoes, uh, uh, talking, uh, and, and, and potentially trying to mate as well, mm-hmm. uh, with their insect song. Uh, jumping spiders have some phenomenal, uh, singing, dancing routines that they do, uh, that we can't hear with, with our, with our ears without, uh, actually, uh, you know, amplifying the sound, but mm-hmm. it's still fascinating. Uh, be sure to look up some videos of that if you haven't seen it. Uh, but yeah, hopefully everyone will think a little, little bit, uh, differently about, uh, the insect cacophony in the night because it's, it's not just A a background noise you know it is it's this massive communication and uh and the, the sounds are being produced at a you know very small level uh with some with some really interesting uh instruments
3: indeed and if you want to check out some more insect sounds go to bbc's program called nature and the episode is called insect soundings and you can get some more clips of various other insects and uh their role in nature
4: uh, if you have something you would like to share with us, if you'd like to talk about what cicada song sounds mean to you, what insect uh, sounds mean to you, what, did, what is your relationship with crickets? Did you grow up uh, hearing that they were good luck and you keep them in your house? Do you keep them in little cages? Do you keep them in your pocket? Uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us in a number of places online. Uh, we have uh, Facebook. We have Twitter. Uh, we have Tumblr. And you can, of course, find us at our website as well, which is StuffToBlowYourMind.com.
3: And you can always drop us a line at BlowTheMind at Discovery. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent